We're one big step closer to vaccinating millions of kids against COVID. Reflecting on the Tree of Life synagogue shooting three years later. And new details on the Alec Baldwin prop gun accident. Could criminal charges be coming? Wednesday need to know. Let's go. Good morning, this is Cheddar's Need to Know podcast for Wednesday, October 27th. I'm Jill Wagner with Carlo Versano. Good morning, Carlo. How's my favorite uh, Bill Cosby super fan doing over there? <laughs> oh my God. You know, I actually went and listened to our podcast yesterday, as I usually do. And I, I was laughing out loud when at your reaction to me telling you that I had, had said you that Bill Cosby, uh, I, that Cosby show was back in the day, one of the shows that I said that I had liked. Of course, this was before everything broke about Bill Cosby. I'm just trying to, I'm picturing someone like trying to like get dirt on you and like digging up your old Facebook page, like Jill Wagner, huge Bill Cosby fan. And you're like, I haven't updated that since 2006. Come on. Um, yes, it, it's, it's, I probably should go back and, and see yeah. what else I have on there that's outdated and, and it'll probably make me look extremely out of touch. Um, okay, let's start with the big news here uh, on vaccine approval for kids. The FDA's advisory panel unanimously endorsed Pfizer's COVID vaccine for 5 to 11-year-olds. This is a really big step toward making those shots available for about 30 million American children. The vote was 17 to 0 with one abstention. The FDA and the CDC both now need to formally sign off. They are expected to do that. And once that happens, kids will be eligible for a dose at one third the strength of the adult dose given in um, two shots spaced three weeks apart. The thinking is at November 5th or November 6th, right around there is when those shots will get make their way into yeah. kids' arms. Excellent news indeed. First of all, who is, I, who is the guy who abstained? Like, <laughs> I, 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 I love, I, I love like, I'm sorry, were, were you doing something? Like, were you busy that, like, were you not paying attention? This is only like an incredibly important thing. You know, maybe pay a little bit of attention, vote yes or no. It's crazy to me. I, I, it's amazing. Uh, anyway, experts say that the, uh, the lower dose is important here because it's going to diminish the rare risk of myocarditis, which we've discussed, uh, which has been linked to the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, particularly in young men. So the hope here is the lower dose will keep that, which is already very rare, um, from, from happening in younger kids. Uh, the CDC has also greenlit fourth doses for uh, moderately to severely immunocompromised people so long as their th third dose was six months ago, which I don't think that uh, nobody is eligible for that at the moment because I don't think anybody has gotten um, a, a booster shot more than a, a month ago at this point. But uh, in any event, you know, we're down to about 70,000 new cases a day, which is obviously still too high, but uh, it's a 23% decline on the two-week moving average. So things are continuing to look better. Uh, you know, by this time last year, we had started to see we were on the upslope for that big winter wave. That's not happening yet. So it's just good to remember that's that's good, that we're not seeing the, the, the comings of a big winter wave here. Um, but the surest sign yet that things are getting back to normal, Jill. You know what I saw on the streets yesterday in Brooklyn? Do tell. I saw... I saw a couple just getting into a blowout fight on the street. <laughs> I, you, you ever see? I feel like that's a very New York City thing. Um, that every once in a while you see just two people like completely going at it, like crying, hitting, screaming. And I hadn't really seen it in a long time, so I, I, I was I was sort of uh, heartened to see that people are sort of getting back to normal out here. Uh, New York City in the fall, <laughs> the fights, <laughs> uh, the crisp air. Like 
Um, it's funny that you also picked up on the one the one person who abstained because I noticed that too, and I was like, who did that? I mean, this is basically right. the the most important issue that they're yeah. going to be talking about. Um, I just did a quick Google search and I couldn't find anything, but I think we should try and figure out who, <laughs> yes. who that the person was. You're on the FDI, the, F, the FDA advisory panel. Like, there's a, right? Don't you have anything to say here, maybe? And if you don't think that kids should be vaccinated, tell us. Oh, no. Tell us yeah, why. Really. We want to hear it. I mean, this is extremely important. Um, okay, today marks three years since the attack on Jewish worshipers inside the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh. Eleven people were killed in that rampage, the deadliest anti-Semitic attack in U.S. history. Meanwhile, there is this new report from the American Jewish Committee. It found that nearly one in four American Jews say that they have been the subject of anti-Semitism in the past year. Uh, the survey also found that 39% of respondents changed their behavior in public out of fears of anti-Semitism, and that while 90% of American Jews think anti-Semitism is a problem in the U.S., only about 60% of the general public thinks the same. Um, you know, the one thing about anti-Semitism, which always gets me, is that it is the only form of prejudice or racism that is actually more prevalent and popular among young people. Uh, young people mm. tend to just be more open-minded, um, yeah. more tolerant of people who are different from them. Um, but for some reason, there's just a lot of anti-Semitism. It's, it's not the case with anti-Semitism, which is extremely scary because you would think, great, in a few decades from now, racism, it's, yeah, it's right. not really going to be a thing. Uh, when you think about how far we've come in, 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 so many, in terms of so many other uh, forms of prejudice, yeah. um, but yet anti-Semitism is unfortunately going strong with the young people. That, that's an interesting point that I hadn't really um, thought about. But just back to, to Tree of Life briefly, if you don't, you know, this was that was truly one of the worst in a series of really terrible shootings in this country. Um, just a, an update on the criminal case in in that uh, shooting. The perp, the perp is held pending trial still three years on. The feds want the death penalty for this guy, even though the Biden administration has issued a moratorium on capital punishment. Uh, and the defense is trying to make a plea deal. They filed more than 600 pretrial, pretrial motions, which is absurd. Uh, they're just kicking the can down the road, really sort of taking advantage of the system here. Um, and, you know, if you don't remember this story, uh, this guy was deeply enmeshed in white supremacy culture. He had become radicalized online using some of those fringe far right social media platforms like Gab. Uh, and this happened at, right, this happened about a year after Charlottesville. Uh, this was sort of in the throes of the Trump presidency and the rise of far right extremism uh, at that time. And notably, the Tree of Life synagogue the week before, um, the reason that this guy targeted that synagogue is because they were um, doing something with immigrants and, and kind of like helping yeah. assimilate mm -hmm. immigrants. Right. And the thinking is there's this like replacement type of theory. that the replacement theory. Yes, yeah. which it, it, if you listen to some right wing media, that's what's going on. Um, and that's why it's so incredibly dangerous. Um, <clears throat> one thing also, though, that I wanted to mention about this survey 91% of Jews that were surveyed thought that the extreme political right in this, like in this case, um, was, a, was a big threat. But notably, 71% also thought that the extreme political left was. And that is mm -hmm. really new. Um, and I think that that's what's changing in terms of anti-Semitism in this country. It's not just the neo-Nazis anymore. Like neo-Nazis, we kind of know how to process um, yeah, right. in terms of anti-Semitism. Barry Weiss, former New York Times columnist, I, I 
quoted her a, a few times. I, I'm a big fan of her podcast. Uh, but she just recently talked about this. So she famously left the Times because she just no longer thought the culture. She, she mm. didn't really like the culture. She thought it was becoming illiberal. Um, she wrote an op-ed. She, she said she wrote an op-ed at the end of 2019 while she was still working there. But I'm not sure if you remember what was happening. There was a spate of anti-Jewish attacks uh, right at the end of 2019. It, it, we had the pandemic right after, so it, yeah, right. it it feels like it was a decade ago. Oh, but Jersey this was, City. Yeah. yeah, so this was the kosher supermarket in Jersey City that was attacked. I remember being like viscerally frightened uh, at that point just to be Jewish in this country. Anyway, so she said that she had drafted a piece when she was at the Times about what was happening and was basically told by the New York Times that they couldn't run it. And I want to just read a quick clip. Um, she was recently interviewed and she talked about what happened. So she said back in 2019, she said, I wrote a piece at the time called America's Bloody Hanukkah or America's Bloody Pogrom. And she said, I thought it was a really good column. It was really my subject. I'd written a book called How to Fight Anti-Semitism. I was bat mitzvahed at the synagogue in Pittsburgh, that Tree of Life synagogue. Mm -hmm. um, so I have some skin in the game. I know a lot about this subject. And I was basically called into my editor's office and was told, we can't really run this. And the reason, at the end of the day, why we couldn't really run it is that the people that were carrying out the attacks weren't white supremacists carrying tiki torches. Um, basically, she's referring to the uh, white supremacist rally in Charlottesville. And then she, she, she said, that was a moment for me where I thought to myself, hold on, this is news, this is important. I'm an expert in this subject, and I'm being told that it does not have a place in the Times, when she was talking mm -hmm. about one of the reasons that she decided to resign. But I think that, I think that the, the larger point here is that as a country, we have to come to terms with the fact that there is, <laughs> that the anti-Semitism does not just live on the far right. It also sure. lives on the far left, and it is increasingly on the far left and becoming a bigger threat. Yeah. Well, what you're describing is a well-known political phenomenon called horseshoe theory, right, which is basically like the further far you get on both ends of the spectrum, the closer they actually end up becoming in ideology. Right. And uh, yeah, it's 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 scary. Uh, switching gears here, Queen Elizabeth will not make the quick trip to Glasgow next week for the COP26 UN Climate Summit, sitting out the event on the advice of doctors. The 95-year-old monarch's decision to skip that global summit comes after she was briefly hospitalized last week. She's been back at work since, but there are murmurs in the British media about whether Buckingham Palace is being forthcoming and transparent about her health. It is really a shame that she's not going to, to this summit because she's actually become Queen Elizabeth quite the climate advocate in her advanced years, um, which was kind of, I think, sort of nice to see. There's a really good wiki hole, not, not to get sort of like uh, maudlin here, but on, <laughs> on the, the – in the in the event of Queen Elizabeth's death, um, there's a whole plan in place for as how, I'm giggling. Uh, All of a sudden, yeah, I, no, I didn't no, know no, that's no, where no. you were going. Okay. No, no, no. <laughs> I, uh, just stick with me. Anyway, the the wiki hole I uh, recommend is called Operation London Bridge, and that's the plan um, in in the British media and the British uh, government for how they will announce her death. The plan for the announcement. It's been in the works since the 60s. It is planned down to the clothes that the BBC anchor will be wearing at the time of the announcement. It's really fascinating stuff. Um, but, you know, I hope that she, I, I hate talking about people like this when they're still alive. And, and just be, to be clear, the queen is not s sick from what we understand. Right. She doesn't appear to be like dying. She's just old. She's really old. Um, and I'm just hoping that she can make it to her platinum jubilee next year when she celebrates 70 years on the throne. Um and just again, you know, Buckingham Palace released a picture of her this week. She looks great, um, but she's 95, right? This is gonna, this is going to happen soon. 
Um, here in the U.S., college enrollment has started to fall. Uh, it started falling at the onset of the pandemic, and it has not stopped. According to findings based on early data from colleges, nationwide enrollment fell a further 3.2% this fall. Combined with last year, there are nearly 7% fewer students on campus right now than there were in 2019. The downward trend is happening uh, at all but the most selective elite universities. At community colleges, enrollment's down 14%. That's remarkable. You know, it feels like this is probably a discussion for when we have a little bit more time, but it feels like we're really at a tipping point uh, in terms of, you know, what's happening in higher education right now. And maybe there's some good to come of this. You know, the, the community college aspect of this is bad. Those are the schools that really need tuition money, right? They don't have endowments. They don't have big donor bases. They depend on people signing up and, and paying the modest tuition. Um, but frankly, you know, too many people go to college in this country and then they get funneled into the knowledge economy that can't really support them. Um, and I say this as somebody who studied political science, whatever the <laughs> hell that is, at a at a four year private university for which my parents are still paying off uh, the cost. Right. My dad always jokes that between me and my brother, who went to school also at a private school right after me, it was like buying a brand new BMW every year, not insuring it and then driving it into the Hudson River. Uh, I always thought that that was like a good way of putting it. And I, but I think that what I, what I mean here is, you know, a lot of parents and kids are asking themselves, I think in the wake of the pandemic, you know, is this worth it? Right. I had a great college experience. Jill, you and I've talked about college in the past. I think we both were similar in that, you know, we, we loved college, had a great time, perhaps learned something. Um, <laughs> But, you know, I had a great college experience, but it's easy for me to say that because I didn't pay a dime, right? For me, it was basically a four-year life, four life sabbatical. Um, but, you know, professionally speaking, nobody has ever asked me uh, where I went to school, at least ever since my first job. It, it doesn't matter, at least in this field, really where you went to college. And there's really no question in my mind that I would have had basically the same career arc had I gone to a state university in New York or probably even a community college. Um, and that, that's not true for everybody. That's not true for every field by any stretch. And I'm not minimizing the intangible things that, you, that one gets out of college. But this question, right, is the juice worth the squeeze? You're really starting to see a lot more people asking that now. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think you're right. Um, and the community college aspect is really interesting because I, I would think I would have thought that community college would have actually seen enrollment go yeah. up. Um, but anyway, it, it is it's pretty fascinating. Um, and I think that we should perhaps explore a little bit what, further what's going on in terms of yeah. in terms of admissions of, and yes. everything. Yeah. Uh, crew members on the set of Rush had reportedly used the prop gun that killed cinematographer Helena Hutchins to do uh, target practice with live ammunition on the morning of the shooting. Alec Baldwin was then given that gun for a scene in which he was supposed to aim it at the camera. That's when it discharged, according to an affidavit. The Santa Fe District Attorney says investigators found an enormous amount of bullets on the set and has not ruled out pursuing criminal charges in the case. Uh, this also coming in overnight. Producers of Rust uh, have lawyered up. They just hired a high-profile law firm to conduct their own investigation into what happened last Thursday. OSHA also now involved. Um, and I think, as we said yesterday, this is really going to become a tragic case of cutting corners, uh, you know, a, a workplace safety sort of gone amok, um, which is something we've discussed as becoming this problem in Hollywood streaming push, the co new content push. This was a low-budget indie film. 
you know, it's kind of surprising, really, that Alec Baldwin had even agreed to be in it. I mean, he's sort of like an A-list star, right? But I think that there's more of these sort of lower-budget films that they get greenlit and they get made, never even intending to see a movie theater, but they get placed on, you know, Netflix or Prime Video or one of those. And I, I, I do believe that that's going to become sort of the, uh, the, the bottom line on this really tragic, tragic case here. All right, time for a little more to know before we go. Senate Dems rushing to hammer out the final details on President Biden's social spending bill ahead of his overseas trip this weekend. There appears to have been some significant progress between the moderate and liberal factions in the last 24 hours, particularly on the prospect of attacks on billionaires that would fund some of the bill. It was looking like they may have actually got this done last night, but uh, not the case perhaps today. But we'll discuss this more, what is in this bill and what is not going to be in this bill uh, perhaps tomorrow. Uh, down in South America, the Brazilian Senate has voted to recommend charging Brazil's president, Jair Bolsonaro, with crimes against humanity for his handling of the pandemic, which has killed 600,000 people in that country and counting. They have the second highest death toll after the United States. This isn't really going to go anywhere. The case is going to be referred to Brazil's chief prosecutor, who is a Bolsonaro ally. But... Uh, this is remarkable. You don't see that every day. Elon Musk is now the richest person to ever walk the planet. According to Forbes, the Tesla CEO saw his wealth go up by $41 billion since Friday, thanks to that surge in Tesla stock. His net worth now in the neighborhood of $225 billion. At his current rate of wealth accumulation, he could conceivably become the, the world's first trillionaire. We talk about companies that are worth a trillion bucks, but seldom yeah. do we talk about individual people. Really something. Uh, okay, in sports, the Braves took game one of the World Series last night against the Astros, but they lost their ace, Charlie Morton, who broke his leg in the third inning of that game. Morton fractured his fibula in the second inning when he was drilled with a 102-mile-an-hour hopper off the bat of Astros first baseman uh, Yuli Gurriel. Uh, he continued to pitch even after that happened. They had to pull him in the third, and he actually apologized uh, for not being able to finish the game. Incredible. Wow. I basically get like a paper cut, and I say, hey, I can't work out today. <laughs> Um, astronomers believe they've discovered the first planet to ever be found outside of our galaxy. A NASA telescope spotted what appears to be a Saturn-sized planet orbiting a star in the Messier 51 galaxy. That's about 28 million light years away. While thousands of so-called exoplanets have been found, this would be the first time one was ever discovered outside the bounds of the Milky Way. I'm ready to go. Can we go? Are they, are they taking, are they accepting visitors yet? Um, and speaking of space, Jill, Dune 2, uh, the sequel of Dune is getting greenlit. It's coming October 2023. The sequel was always part of the plan for this movie, but it was not a sure thing until the box office receipts came in. A lot of people went to see this movie. A lot of people are talking about it. It is getting its sequel, and it goes to show you, Hollywood makes good movies. People go to see good movies. They talk about those movies, and then we get more of them. All right, that is what you need to know for Wednesday, October 27th. See you guys tomorrow.